Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Hear the Word of God. And uh, when I was uh, first a Christian, the pastor that, uh, that, uh, of the church that I attended would always say, the ears can only hear what the seat can sit. So I like to get you up and moving around a little bit. Um, my message today, oh, I'm going to mention a couple of books. Uh, one that I would really encourage is uh, a book by Jim Durkin. It's called Your Life Will Change Through the Power of the Word. And uh, it really was instrumental in my Christian uh, foundation and uh, learning how to speak the Word of God. You see, because the meal that you eat tomorrow are the words that you spoke today. It says we eat of the fruit of our lips. And um, so it's so important that we learn the Word of God and how to use it rightly, rightly discerning it, rightly using it, using it to encourage one another to speak faith into another person's life. You may know somebody that's, you know, a complete mess, and um, you can come up to them and just say, what a mighty man of God you are. What a wonderful, virtuous woman of God you are. And they'll walk away going, I am? Because the truth prevails. And that's God's word that he speaks over us. How many mighty men of God in this room do we have? Raise your hand. Keep going. There ain't one left behind. All right? It's there. And the other book is called The The Final Shout. I'd forgotten I had this book. It's The Rapture Report. Uh, In 1988, some of you have never, uh, you weren't even born in. But in in 1988, a book came out that said 1988 reasons that Jesus would return in 1988. And then they revised it to 89. And this one is revised to 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95. And on it goes. The idea there is sometimes as Christians, we can come up with some pretty crazy concepts. You know? And we, we feel so right about those concepts. Like, this is it, man. Jesus is returning this year because I got a little glimpse into something and I built this whole thing around it. Only to find out later you need to revise the book. But uh, I got a real kick out of that when it first came out because so many people rallied to the idea of the rapture. Now, how many are familiar with the rapture, the return of Jesus and the taking up of the church? Well, for previous to him returning in 1988, uh, there was the, were we going up before the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, which was called pre-tribulation, pre-trib rapture, or we're going up three and a half years into the tribulation, which is uh, mid-trib, or are we being taken up after the church has gone through the seven-year tribulation, which is post-trib? So we have pre-trib post-trib, and mid-trib, and 1988. The point is, 
Don't live your life for the rapture. Will the rapture happen? I believe so. Jesus said one will be on the roof and taken and the other one there left behind. Something's going to take place. When? I don't know. And I don't want to all of a sudden rally around an idea that it's going to be now. I want to live my life as a minister of Christ. And there's not one person in this room that is uh, excluded from that statement. We are all ministers of Christ. We are all ministers of righteousness. We have all been given by the authority of Jesus Christ. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are made a minister. Now, some have public speaking gifts. Some have other gifts. My wife has a gift in in praying for people. She has long-term friendships with people. Some of them she's invested in for 15, 20 years, they still haven't come to Christ, but they will always uh, call her their friend, call upon her, have lunch with her, and because she prayed for them and continues to do so. So there's prayer evangelism. There's whatever your gift inclines you to do, do not neglect it. Do not neglect the gift that directs you and gives you passion for sharing the love of God with someone else. So we come up with these crazy ideas often um, that we think is going to vitally uh, change the uh, world, uh, the church world, the, the unchurched world, only to find out that people look at it and go, what a bunch of nutcases. I mean, I did, and I'm a part of the the nut basket. I'm in it. That led me to, I don't know, this week, we we took advantage of uh, the Amazon sale, you know, the 40% off thing, and we bought one of those little, uh, little shark robot vacuums. And... uh, put it together and let it charge, and we just stared at it for the first week. And then we, we have a golden retriever, so it requires a lot of uh, upkeep. They uh, produce a lot of hair. And uh, before we even turned this thing loose, we already had to uh, vacuum the house really good with our Dyson. So we, we vacuumed the house really good with our Dyson, and then we turned the shark robot vacuum loose. And I got some revelation on that into the insight into the Word of God. So I'm going to share some of that with you this morning. The, the first part of that is you got to get cleaned up, and you can't do it yourself. Our righteousness is not of our own. It's been given to us by Christ Jesus. We cannot be saved on our own. It's by the grace of God through faith given to us by God himself. So the first cleaning comes from the Holy Spirit cleansing your life when you receive Jesus Christ into your life. But then there's a maintenance of the little shark vacuum 
being released, which I consider the washing of the water of the word, renewing my mind daily so that I might know him better. So that brings me to this. Do you know that in the Bible, we've heard of the commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. Well, there's 613 commandments. How many were aware of all 613 commandments? How many of you know them and, and live them? Not all the commandments are negative. A lot of them are, are towards commandments towards positive living. Others are commandments of negative things. You do this and this is going to happen. And we kind of incline ourselves to those a little bit more. Because as a people, we love to see justice done on somebody else. We love to see the villain get what he deserves. We love to see the bullied person, you know, get protected and elevated. We, we love these things. But anyway, here we've come up with, out of ten commandments that God gave to Moses, uh, a continual ongoing of a, say like a, a little shark robot vacuum, 613 commandments so that people could learn to live a life of love. And then Jesus came along and said to those keeping the commandments, you not only cannot keep them and don't keep them, but you're teaching others that they have to. And he says, I'm going to sum it up with this. I have come to fulfill all 613 laws. I have come to fulfill the law. And I've done it this way. The law is fulfilled in this. One statement, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And the second commandment to that that's equal to it is, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to work off that basis. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, but I'm just going to keep a small portion of it. I don't know if we have any of that this morning, but um, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It's so important to understand when you receive Christ, your spirit is born again, but your soul is not. Your soul is just a wild chimpanzee, and it will rip someone's face off, given the opportunity. It needs to be trained. Your soul needs to come into subjection to the power of the Spirit in your life. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that there's a war going on in our own body. There's a battle that takes place between soul and spirit, between spirit and flesh. There's all these different workings. And a spirit-controlled person understands the commandment that all these things can be fulfilled in this, that we love our God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. I've been at this for a while. The, the laws that encompass the civil and the moral conduct, uh, attempting to keep mankind from sin. 
uh, in our own nation, and we're coming on election season. I love election season. People get so passionately wrapped up, they actually come to a place of hating each other. It can be a lot of fun. Don't you love to be hated on? And we are doing that because of this concept of the sin nature of man, and, and rightfully so. I'm not saying that we should not be passionate about uh, our politics. We should not be involved in our politics. I'm saying we should be, and you should vo vote your conscience, and your conscience should be surrendered to the will of God in your life. But um, getting ahead of myself here. But we should not allow earthly things to stop us from fulfilling the commandment, fulfilling the law of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. Doesn't mean that you don't feel strongly about a certain aspect of your politics. Doesn't mean that you don't want to see our country um, go in the right direction. What it does mean is this. We have a lot more than 613 laws on our books in this nation to try to, to steer the moral compass of mankind. More laws on top of that is not going to steer the moral compass. What steers the moral compass is a person surrendered to Jesus Christ and to the Spirit of God operating in their life. If I love my neighbor to such a degree that his life is changed, I don't have to convince him what, what form of politics to have. I just don't. He's convinced by the Spirit of God. As I said, I've been at this for many years. I've never led one person to, through, to Christ through my political affiliations. I tried. Been working on my wife for years. She's still a Republican. <clears throat> Maybe somebody here has been able to do that. I remember an individual years ago, my wife and I lived in a commune, Christian commune, and evangelism was the thing. I mean, we just were out on the streets preaching the gospel every day, finding, finding people and bringing them in, you know, compelling them to, to come in. And it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful time in our life. And uh, we were living in Homer at the time, Homer, Alaska, and uh, came across these two fellas and I invited him over to the house, and we began to witness to them. And one was a Buddhist, practicing Buddhist, and the other one was just a, a guy, non-committed to anything. And man, me and a, a friend, we, we got to just sharing the gospel with them, and we were really focused on this one fella. We just knew we were going to convince him to surrender to Christ, to give up Buddhism and see that Christ is the answer I mean, we were working every angle, and, and, and we were just, 
I was convinced this guy's going to get saved and, and surrender. And we were completely neglecting the other individual. And he interrupted, and he says, just tears start streaming down his face. And he said, what about me? Can I get saved? And we were like, ah, out of the way, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> It's not convincing someone to salvation. Salvation comes through an impartation of grace, grace by God himself and through faith. Well, let me get off that and move on. Romans 3. Am I doing okay here? All right. Romans chapter 3, the ninth verse, it says this, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, scriptures say, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. I remember a revelation in my life just when I first received Christ. It was so clear to me that there was nothing good in me. I mean, I was convinced at some point in time, even as I began to walk with Christ, that no, there is something redeemable. I wouldn't murder somebody. And then one day, God showed me I had murder in my heart. And I saw there is nothing good in me, nothing redeemable. But Jesus saved me. Jesus reached into my life and said, I want you, you're mine. And now I'm going to transform you and make you a different person. I literally thought, well, of course my wife loves me. How can she not? Only to see that in the end, what she saw in me was a little glimpse of Jesus starting to break through. So I, I decided to emulate Jesus more so that my wife would love me more. Uh, no one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. This is very descriptive, folks. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Okay, now these are people who practice the law. Hey, I'm practicing the law. I'm a good person. No, you're not. The law will never do and fulfill what's necessary to stand in righteous hope 
before God. In fact, the law was there to show us that we could not fulfill it. So of the 613 commandments, and uh, how many are familiar with the David Letterman show? You remember the top 10? We all know the top 10, thou shalt nots. So we work on those. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8. Well, let me, let me, before we get out of Romans, go down to verse 21. But now God has shown us a way, Romans 3, 21. Now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the, and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. I'm just reading the Bible to you. You can, if you want to take exception with it, go ahead, but not with me. I'm going to have cookies afterwards and sign that book. In Ephesians chapter 2, In chapter 2 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we, I love this, for we are God's masterpiece. Now, there's a big thing going on these days to protest, uh, you know, the oil and drilling and global warming, and people are destroying these masterpieces, you know, and they're dumping cans of tomato soup. Anybody see any of that in the news? Now, the latest thing is they're gluing themselves, super gluing themselves to these uh, masterpiece paintings hoping to bring attention to their environmental issues. I want to be God's masterpiece, and I want people to come up, not throw tomato soup on me, but super glue themselves to me. I want them to say, you know what? <laughs> Apparently, I like being around you because I... Okay, where was I? Verse 8, read it again. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For you and me, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago.
For by grace are you saved, in Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at that, Galatians chapter 5. Where is Galatians? the New Testament. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> and it's good to have an ordained teacher in our midst. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Now, if we take the previous scriptures we read, and then we're given this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to have to admit to yourself, on your own, you cannot do that. I think one of the greatest messages I've ever heard was by this man, Jim Durkin. He was preaching about discipleship, and he's saying, cry out to God. Let him know, God, whatever it takes, change my life. Change me, form me, shape me, whatever it takes, Lord, but make me a disciple. And I'm on it. I'm like, yeah, I'm caught up in the, you know, the moment. Yeah. And then he says this, and then confess your utter inability to be one. Because it's all through the grace of of God. That helped me so much because the things we desire, the things we aspire to, and we want to be, and we want to live a life, you live it through Christ. You can't do it through your works, through your efforts, through your knowledge. How many enjoyed Sukina last week? Oh, man. I just love that guy. He's just like a fountain of, of coolness. I loved his description. I'd never seen that before of, of Jesus riding in the dirt. I mean, I've looked at and read so many different things. But it had to be that way to fulfill the law. Because the accusation could not be made just verbally, but had to be brought written. How many caught that? Because, you know, I'm always like, yeah, you know, I love the one, my favorite always, and I've preached it wrongly, apparently, uh, was Jesus was writing down the different sins that these other guys have committed. Because he said, you without sin cast the first stone. So he's, you know, writing down their sins and... And the older, more mature Christian lead, or, uh, Jew would leave right away, going, oh, he's talking about me. And the, the younger, newer Pharisee didn't catch on fast enough, so he would sit there, and it took a while to dawn on him that it was about him. But no, it wasn't that at all. 
Jesus was bringing that. And then the fact that um, the whole aspect of, of, they can't depict that in the scripture, but God covering his, uh, Jesus covering his mouth and saying, there is no judgment for you right there. Your sins are forgiven. Now go. And then I always had trouble with that scripture afterwards, that story, because it said, uh, now go and sin no more. And as a Christian, I pursued that, but I could not follow through and complete that and sin no more. I still found that there was more to sin. So I didn't understand that. Well, go and sin no more is, yeah, definitely I want to live through Christ, uh, live for Christ, but when it comes down to it, I've got to live through Christ, and he's got to live through me. Now, I'll finish this with a little story. There was a guy who had two hunting dogs, two bird dogs. One he raised from a puppy, another one he got from a fella who had raised it. And the one that he raised from a puppy, he, he trained it in such a way that the dog knew to go out and seek and find what the owner had trained him to look for. The other one had been raised and kept in a little kennel all of its life. And so he would take the two dogs and he would go to the field and he'd go out to hunt and he'd release them. And the dog that he had raised uh, to understand that it was to be out seeking would go far and wide. And the one that was raised in the kennel, although he loved his master, his new master, he would never do anything but run around in little squares, because that's what he was familiar with, the small confinement. And he didn't understand the pursuit of God requires us to go out far and seek the distance of what Christ wants to do in you. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.